1: Welcome to Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. I'm Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. Uh, Rich, different location for me this week. Um, I'm not in the mountains anymore. I'm actually in the middle of the jungle, but I have better Wi-Fi. So I I hope the, the audio issues we had last week have been resolved, and this week we'll have a little bit better showing or at least sounding uh, podcast.
0: Completely agree with you and you know while you're enjoying your your internet and and your beach time we're we're out here freezing our
1: tails off okay i just i need to clear this up there's no beach You keep saying i'm at the beach i'm in the middle of the rainforest there is a pool here what? but there's no beach it counts okay it counts there there's a beach no. closer
0: to you and there's a beach close to me
1: well, that is true. And I heard it was super cold in Oklahoma, but uh, I mean, I'm just living the dream in Central America. Bedlam basketball, Bedlam 2.0 coming up Wednesday night. Uh, this podcast will air through iTunes and on heartland-sports.com late Tuesday night. This is a huge game for both schools, both Oklahoma and Oklahoma state plummeting right now for various reasons. I, I think when you went with Oklahoma, it starts with the schedule and in and, and a brutal schedule to start big 12 conference play for the Sooners for Oklahoma state. I mean, it's just, it's, it's implosion by, by their own hands. When you look at the discipline problems they've had, the transfers, this team, I did a post today earlier on the website. This team is down 21 points on average per game with the four personnel that are no longer on the team had to do open tryouts to, um, just to get enough players to practice with. But yet the cure-all for this program right now, where they are, would be Oklahoma State in Stillwater for the second round of Bedlam. Huge game for both schools. Give me your initial thoughts, and then we'll talk about some more specific things after that.
0: Yeah, I want to back up, and I'll give you my initial thoughts at the same time. First and foremost, the Big 12 is arguably the deepest conference in all of the nation. So when we talk about Oklahoma getting a tough draw for the beginning of conference play, I expect it to be like that all the way through from start to finish. Now, there are some teams who aren't quite as good as those top-tier teams, but nothing, and I I say this again, nothing is a give-me here in the Big 12. As we look towards Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, man, you've really mentioned a lot of the struggles that Oklahoma State has had to deal with, dismissing three pro players previously, ending up with nine on the roster. They did have those open tryouts and they onboarded six, bringing that total back up to 15. But you have to question the quality of player that they're getting. Now, just because you have open tryouts doesn't mean you're getting the best players, or apparently it wasn't even kids that you recruited who are now sitting. On that bench, making themselves available, whether that's as practice dummies or whether they'll get in to an actual game and record some stats is a completely different story. But you've got to look at this Oklahoma State team who's who's motivated to prove that they are still capable of competing, not just against Oklahoma, but in the Big 12. Hasn't really happened for them at this point in time. I know Oklahoma State got that win over Texas, and so we know that Oklahoma State can pull off the upset every now and then, and they're going to be looking at this contest with Oklahoma as another opportunity to put a notch in the belt and secure a quality win. Oklahoma, on the other end of the spectrum, has lost two in a row, fallen out of the top 25, and, and they're definitely looking to get back in to that top 25 consideration. You know, this is the team that I thought we, we had when, when they took the court for the very first time. However, they proved me wrong, and I began to praise this team one, for the length of the defense that they're playing, two, for the physicality that they started bringing to the court. I don't know where we stand. Everybody has slumps. Maybe this is just a midseason slump, a little bit of fatigue for this team before they bounce back and have an incredible end to the season. But my initial thought, I'm going to stretch this out for you and say that I don't know that, <laughs> that anyone is going to knock off Kansas except for Texas Tech.
1: Well, Kansas. I mean, they've lost twice in conference. So they're, they're right. They're, I I'm mean, saying
0: who, who's going to end their 14 year streak? It's not. you talking about I'm winning teams. the
1: championship? Right? Yes, you're talking about yes, like. Yes. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Well, and here's the I'm thing. I'm not talking about you, you one game. I, I feel you. Okay, so you're talking about how deep the conference is, which I I agree. It's it's a deep conference. I said last week um, on the poor audio version of our podcast that. um, I believe eight out of ten teams in the Big 12 have the opportunity to make the NCAA tournament. The two teams I think, and on this uh, at, at this point, who are on the outside looking in, are West Virginia and Oklahoma State. But it's crazy that West Virginia's only win in conference. The Mountaineers are one and six in conference, and their only win is against West Virginia coming on Saturday. But only three schools in the Big 12 are ranked. They on, Texas hang Tech. On. Yeah, go ahead.
0: I was gonna say, help me out, because you said West
1: Virginia's only winning conference was West
0: Virginia.
1: Sorry, I'm not bad. No, sorry, it's it's I'm drowning in the rainforest. Uh, West Virginia's only win is over Kansas.
0: Okay, so you know okay. you got the
1: Jayhawks right now sit on top of the conference. Kansas State nipping at their heels. By the way, explain to me why Kansas State isn't ranked. I, I don't get that either. I know they, that they had a. I mean, they're sitting at 14 and four on the season. They had a little bit of a struggle when their best player was was not not a, a, you know out with injury, but this is a team that, in my opinion, absolutely should be ranked even even with the injury considered they they I don't know they they they're they've got Texas Tech on the ropes as we're recording this podcast right now. They're sitting in the top half if they win this game, they'll be tied for the big 12 lead. Baylor's kind of there as yeah. well, that twelve and six. I can I think you can make it uh, I think you can make a better case for Baylor not being ranked than you can Kansas State. That aside, the, you're right. The Big Twelve Conference is deep. I'm shocked only three teams are ranked. I guess is the point I'm making. Well currently that's tied with Oklahoma change. State. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say that well, yeah, I mean, because
0: Kansas State was a top 15 team preseason. Um, They had a slight dip there in the the middle of this this current 20 games that we're sitting at. They had that dip. And and I think whoever's voting on it is saying, you know, we gave it to you as a free gift, and you proved us wrong. So now we want you to prove it. But they'll climb their way back into the rankings. They're they're an excellent team. They have been. And like I said, when Oklahoma played them was – they really, I feel like they really set the tone in terms of physicality each and every night, regardless of their opponent.
1: Well, if they close us out against Texas Tech tonight, there's there's no doubt they'll be ranked on Saturday. Right now they're up by 11 points with two and a half minutes left as we're recording this podcast. So by the time this thing hits uh, hits iTunes and hits our website, this game will have been over. But that's what I'm saying. This, this, this team... I, I think you could look at them and see they're missing their best player. When you're talking about that slump that they went through, now that they had him back, I mean, he was a big 12 preseason player of the year selection for a reason. And, and we, you saw what he did in Norman. You, you, I, I don't know. I just, there's, there's certain things I don't get about way the way voting is done, but uh, what else would we have to talk about? If, if we didn't, uh, if we didn't have things like that, Let, let's jump back to Bedlam yeah. Because here's the, Oh, go ahead. You have a a comment to that? No, but I'll I'll
0: interject one. The rankings really don't matter at the end of the day. Getting into the tournament as a member of that field of now 68 teams—that that's really all that matters because you can prove it from that point on.
1: Yeah, and that's what's great about NCAA basketball. But I still think there's there's there is value in deserving to be ranked in the top 25. And I just I feel like Kansas. Absolutely is one of the one of the t- best top twenty best twenty five teams in the country. All right, let's jump back into Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. When you look at what's on the line here, um, both of them only two and a half games out of Kansas in first place. Now I, I don't expect either school to win the Big Twelve regular season title, but I do feel like Oklahoma. We've talked about this. Oklahoma can can push to make a top four appearance when it comes time for the instant, uh, the Big Twelve tournament. But when you look at the the bottom three teams in the Big 12, Oklahoma doesn't. I mean, they're they're the one that they're the they're the one that stands out. You've got Oklahoma State and Oklahoma tied at two and four for the. That's like the second worst record in conference. West Virginia at one and six. But then you look at the overall overall standings on the season. West Virginia nine and ten. Oklahoma State eight and ten. They're both below five hundred. Oklahoma State two games below five hundred. Oklahoma's sitting there at 13-5, and five, and this isn't a 13-5 where you play just a cupcake schedule to earn a bunch of wins. I mean, Oklahoma had a, a decent, better-than-average, you know, non-conference schedule, but this is something that we saw last year from Lon Krueger, where you start the season really making an impression non-conference, and then Big 12 play comes around, and it's just everything comes crashing down. That's why I believe Bedlam is so big for Oklahoma Wednesday night because if they drop this game in Stillwater, not only is it a monumental win for Oklahoma State, I still don't believe they're going to go dancing, but it's that win that kind of salvage. It's the feel-good underdog story with only nine players, scholarship players on your bench, a bunch of guys that you just put on the team last week so you can practice. It's that feel-good story that it's the it's the win within you know with, within a losing season. But for Oklahoma, it's the chance to kind of – they don't have a road win in the Big 12 yet. But some of those losses, you know, at, at, at Kansas, at Texas Tech, the Oklahoma desperately needs this win to continue moving forward in a season that's gone bad. It goes to worse if they lose this game because all of a sudden you start spiraling out of control, I feel like, if you don't handle business in Stillwater.
0: I absolutely agree with you in the fact that this is a must-win situation for Oklahoma. Not that it's a season-breaking loss if Oklahoma loses, nor is it this season-making win, but it definitely has the beginnings of that when we look at this matchup. Oklahoma's already got one win over Oklahoma State. We know how difficult It is at this point in time to win on the road because Oklahoma has suffered a handful of losses. Well, not quite a handful, but we're getting there. They've suffered a few losses on the road in conference already. And I'm not saying that it's just because the quality of play in in Big 12 because Oklahoma has certainly challenged the Texas Techs. They've challenged the Kansas. And then they go on the ruse. Ruse? go on the road and and they drop some questionable games, games that were winnable. I, I do believe Oklahoma is going to be competitive, but you have to look at this as that really turning point for Oklahoma with two losses already consecutively on the schedule heading into this game. A loss here makes it three, and, and Matt, you're right. It, it does have the potential to spiral downward from there. I'm hoping for the exact opposite and that this game can be used as kind of a recentering or a relaunching point, and Oklahoma takes control in Stillwater given the adversity and a lot of the struggles that have taken place on this Oklahoma State roster at this point in time. If we look at just the talent level, knowing that there are six brand new players to the program sitting on Oklahoma State's roster, I don't believe anybody would argue that the talent pool lies on Oklahoma side not Oklahoma state side and we should see a little bit of that flash in the pan in stillwater come tomorrow
1: yeah but none, none of those six players are, are going to play uh, that's it that, 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 there's no way. if if Mike Boynton turns to any of those six players and says you're in the game something has gone egregiously wrong for Oklahoma State for or that to they happen. Found it some some random no. diamond no, rough. There, look, there, there's I mean, zero Baker chance. Maceau just if, walking around out there. <laughs> no, no, no. It, like if you had some some football players, which I'm surprised there were zero football players at that tryout. If you had some football players who were conditioned athletes, you might have a chance of one of those walk-ons jumping in this game. But the but the reality, you're you're doing a, an open tryout last week. You get put on the team this week. There's you're not even in condition to play in a Big Twelve game. There is zero chance that one of those guys makes it on the court Wednesday night. And if they do, I believe it's because something has, like I said, egregiously gone wrong for Oklahoma State. And what we've seen out of the last two games with them, even with a shorter shorter bench, is they put up a fight. I mean, the first half, I believe, is going to be a dogfight, where Oklahoma – I think we will have a chance to pull away will be in the second half. Once fatigue begins to set in with those starters and, and Mike Boynton's rotation, he's going to have to rotate guys out quicker than what Lon Kruger is going to have to do. But all of a sudden, Oklahoma's bench kind of comes into play here. And, and that's where, that's really where I believe the, the, the heart of Oklahoma's opportunity to win this game comes into play. And we've talked about, in previous episodes, you know what is the key? What is the catalyst to this Oklahoma basketball? Team? You know, we we talked about the the no superstar and so forth, but I, I believe the catalyst for this team is in Christian Doolittle. I, I think I, I think I've, I've been watching them, and you you know Christian James has the opportunity to kind of any given night have a double double and be the leading guy on this team. You know, Brady Manick in and out every night is going to be like a, a workhorse guy. But Christian Doolittle, when he is on, when he's when he's hitting, you know, like a phrase that we like to use, when he's hitting on all cylinders, he becomes a guy that really sparks this team. You know, you go back to the last Bedlam game in Norman. You go back to that win over TCU when Oklahoma picked up their only win over a top twenty-five program this year. I think he's that player. When Mike Boynton has to go to his bench and and the guys get tired legs. The more Kristen Doolittle can come in and do against guys like that, the better Oklahoma is. And without jumping so far ahead of everything, he's kind of the guy I'm watching tomorrow night to to be, you know, that catalyst. He he comes off the bench typically for Oklahoma. He's third on the team in minutes played with 26. He's averaging just under double figure scoring in nine point one points per game. But look at what happened against Texas, kind of a slow start. That's that was kind of one of those things that doomed him. Comes, I mean, only has nine points in the entire game. But you go back to that win against uh, against TCU. He's got 24. The win against Oklahoma State. He's got 16. You get Doolittle in double figures. I I think Oklahoma has a legitimate chance to get a, a, away from Stillwater with their first conference win on the road.
0: I don't disagree with your pick there. I do like that. I'm going to go with a, a little bit of a different tactic here or a different stat line to watch rather than just an individual player because I believe with the current situation that's happening, if Oklahoma State fouls Oklahoma and sends them to the line upwards of 20 times, Oklahoma is going to blow Oklahoma State out of the water in their own place. Now, if they can keep that under the 15, to 18 to 15 range, I think it remains fairly close throughout a majority <clears throat> excuse me of the game, as in it's probably like that six to ten point range where Oklahoma State pushes and then Oklahoma responds or Oklahoma begins to push that lead, and Oklahoma State responds, closing the gap a little bit. It's all on free throws for me at this point in time because they are free throws you should make those. That's not always a given, unfortunately. But like I said, if Oklahoma State is consistently sending these Oklahoma players to the line, the the Aaron Calixte and Odoms, guys who are going to slash towards the basket or who are going to play physical, if they're sending these guys to the line, not only is Oklahoma State most likely going to be in foul trouble with individuals and contributors but they're also going to be giving Oklahoma that opportunity. I know I'm stating this and it's so obvious, but I'm I'm going to state it anyway. They're sending Oklahoma to that line for those what we're calling free points at this point.
1: Well, yeah, Oklahoma shot 36 free throws in the first round of Bedlam and you know, you talk about making them. They they, they missed 11 of the 36 free throws, 69.4% from the floor, but it was an ugly game all around for for that first round of bedlam Oklahoma shooting less than 37% from the field Oklahoma State shooting less than 35% from the field it was atrocious three point range both of them OU at 25% Oklahoma State at 23% I believe that's where that's where the defensive key lies for Oklahoma because Oklahoma State's going to try to make it rain uh, if I can use that phrase from the three point line and uh, if Oklahoma continues to defend the perimeter like they have all season long I think that's where I mean you, you let Oklahoma State shoot themselves out this game. Don't give them good shots. Make every shot contested from from long range, and then crash the boards. The Sooners had a twelve a twelve rebound advantage uh, over Oklahoma State in the first round. They got thirty six defensive rebounds after really being you know taking it on the chin a little bit uh, early in that game on the boards. This is something that Lon Kruger has been preaching all season long: defense and rebounds. I think to me that's where lies for this team is is continue to contest every shot, don't give any freebies and then crash the boards. Oklahoma's strength certainly has been their defense. Matt, you pointed
0: it out their three their defense of the three-point line has been excellent. I can remember talks leading up not only the Kansas, but also Texas Tech, of, of the defense that the Kansas' and the Texas Techs were actually going to be facing throughout the duration of the season when anyone played Oklahoma. It's because of that link. It's because of that recognition, the switching on every screen and the communication that I think we've seen this elevated level of defensive play from this Oklahoma team. You watch them. Now we've gone to practices together, and one of the things that we consistently see is that level of communication it's almost as if it's not just the uh players sitting in there but it's loud enough to have a small crowd the way that these guys are yelling in an attempt to communicate what's happening on the floor and who's going where in order to defend that ball or that pass or that shot whatever it may be again it's been the strength of this oklahoma team I think we see that shine once again, and I think it's a result or it's the, the reason why we see those numbers that you have mentioned from the first meeting between these teams. I expect a very similar outing defensively from Oklahoma, and if Oklahoma State can shoot the ball decently well from the three-point line, they are going to give Oklahoma some fits. They are going to challenge this Oklahoma team, and they're going to provide this nightmare situation They're in Stillwater. I expect it to be a full crowd regardless because it is an in-state rivalry game. There will be plenty of fun that will be had not only on the hardwood, but also in the stands from the crowd and the the crowd participation. So I'm expecting just an all-out fight from Oklahoma State, even though Oklahoma is favored in this game.
1: Well, and that's a great point you make about the crowd because – I think there's a good chance that that there will be a a solid Oklahoma showing in Stillwater tomorrow night because the, the Oklahoma State's not selling out. I mean it's just it's not they're not even close to selling out. And like any other program, any other institution, if you can sell those tickets, even if it is to the visiting fans, you're going to sell them just to get rid of them. And, and I think you're right. It will be a, a, a close to capacity crowd. And that's not a, a dig against Oklahoma State because I, Oklahoma had the exact same thing in Norman a couple of weeks ago where you had a, a large showing of Oklahoma State fans who were able to get their hands on tickets and be in the Lloyd Noble Arena or Lloyd North, North Noble Center. Um, that's going to be the same thing for Gallagher-Iba Arena. Yeah, and one thing I want to go back to as we kind of close out, talk about Bedlam is I I didn't I wasn't disagreeing with what you're saying about free throw shootings because if if I'm Lon Kruger, I'm looking at the aggressiveness of my guys. I'm looking at a guy like Jamonic McNeese who's getting healthy, Brady Manick, who's an inside outside player. You got slashers like Calixte, like Christian James, like Kristen Doolittle, you know, Miles Reynolds, you've got those guys I'm attacking. I, I'm telling them, you know, if we, if we set up plays and we get good looks from three point range, let's take them, but looking at their depth, let's attack them. Let's get them in foul trouble. And, and, in and, the, you know, that whenever you're playing a team that's already hurting on depth, If you can get them in foul trouble, you just highlight that weakness even more. And so that that certainly has to be something that's Oklahoma's game plan is to drive to attack the basket and try to force Oklahoma State to foul you, not only giving you the chance for free points, but also hurting them uh, in the foul category and making some of those guys that typically wouldn't be in a game have extended minutes in a game. Yep,
0: completely. Completely agree and like that you've you've talked about the depth, but more specifically about the aggressiveness because that's one thing that you don't want to lack in this situation. I know it's cold in Oklahoma. I know there's that potential to come out flat. We've already talked about the importance of winning this game, but it all starts right there with that level of aggressiveness.
1: Well, when you look at Oklahoma's schedule and and you look at the 2-4 and mark in Big 12 play – You know, you can say some of those losses are excusable. I I, I said that I felt like Oklahoma could run the table in Norman and protect the home court. I obviously was wrong on that with the loss to Kansas State. But I I don't look at that as a bad loss. I I don't look at the loss in Lawrence as a bad loss. uh, I I don't even think Texas Tech is a bad loss. But I I look at the game Saturday night against the Longhorns in Austin. Those are games you got to win. I mean, I, I. I believe that Texas and Oklahoma are pretty much on par with one another. I felt like Oklahoma was maybe the better program before that game. I'm still not convinced they're not, even though they have the loss to Texas. That's the only loss when I look that's at the four loss, losses in conference. Probably. That's that to me. That's an inexcusable loss, and and this one would be even more so. Oklahoma's got to get you, you lose to Kansas State in in Norman. You got to pick one up on the road, and that's what this opportunity is there in front of Oklahoma in Stillwater. How do you feel about the losses? You look at the four losses. Do you agree that the the loss to Texas is inexcusable, or do you feel like that's that's still when you look at losses being good losses or bad losses? I I, I look at Oklahoma State, Baylor, West Virginia. Those are all teams you should beat, in my opinion. You should beat them in Norman, and really you should beat them on the road as well. And I know Baylor's kind of near the top of the conference, but I feel like that they're a team that, that if, if Oklahoma loses in Waco, in my opinion, it's a little bit of a disappointment.
0: As far as Texas is concerned, I think you you should beat Texas every day of the week. But that's just hard well, okay, well, timeout to Well, okay. Well, time out.
1: Because, pitching. yeah, because <laughs> let's, let's take the rivalry out of it. You know, if, if Oklahoma's playing Texas, you know, in Uno, I want Oklahoma to win, right? I mean, but take the rivalry out of it and just look at the team. Look at the level of competition, the state of the program. Remove the Longhorn logo. Remove Matthew McConaughey in his burnt orange suit. Oklahoma should beat a program that caliber. They should beat them. And and that's, that's, uh, yeah, the fact that it is Texas makes the loss even that much more disappointing. But when you're comparing program to program and where Oklahoma was going into austin that that's a must win that that's a game you got to pick up on the road, especially after dropping one at home and they don't do it. But a loss in stillwater is even worse than that in my opinion
0: no i I do agree with that statement back to the this Texas conversation because. One thing that I feel like Texas fans were hoping was Shaka Smart coming to the university, taking over as the head coach of the basketball program would bring about a lot of success. And some of that was based on his history, based upon the style of basketball that he brought with him, knowing that he didn't have the athletes. I thought he got a little bit of a grace period there. Now he's got his own recruits and and they're not having the success that I thought they would. They haven't been as successful as they were under Barnes even at this point in time. When I'm looking at this Texas team, I do have to consider them as as a middle-of-the-road conference team, and I agree with you. Oklahoma should have won that game. Oklahoma gave themselves plenty of opportunities to beat Texas on the road, in Austin. It just didn't happen. Sometimes, unfortunately, that is the way that the cookie crumbles, and you have to accept that and move on, but I do agree with you, that Texas is a beatable program. They're beatable whether they're at home or they're on the road, and Oklahoma should have secured that win down in Austin. Moving forward to Oklahoma State, we keep beating this dead horse, but it is a must-win game for Oklahoma. No, no way around that.
1: Well, and, and here's the thing that we haven't talked about yet when it comes to this Bedlam game is that this sets up Oklahoma to go on a little bit of a run. They, they play this Bedlam game and then they, they host Vanderbilt for the Big 12 SEC showdown. And then it's Baylor. And then you're you're at West Virginia. I think there's four winnable games for a team that desperately needs to have a string of four wins in a row.
0: Hey, let me ask you a question while we're on the subject.
1: Are you a fan of the SEC
0: Big 12 Challenge? Yeah. Okay. I'm only asking because I feel as though it's a, becoming a little bit mundane and a little bit pointless. Why do I say these things? Because they always pair. The Blue Blood, or seemingly, this isn't an every-year thing, but it happens more often than not. They pair the Blue Blood, what's considered a Blue Blood program, up with another Blue Blood program. These lower-tier teams, the -the middle-of-the-road teams, aren't necessarily getting a crack to prove that the Big 12 is worthy of a much higher consideration when it comes to who's playing Kentucky this year, who's playing florida this year etc etc now i loved it last year oklahoma playing alabama we got to see two what were considered two of the best point guards in the country go head to head and get that eye test is trey young worthy of a lottery pick or or is it colin sexton who's going to be taken as the first point guard coming out of the collegiate ranks here in the u.s i I like that those kind of storylines I know we got that when Buddy Heald and um, Ben Simmons were on the court together as well, seeing two future NBA players play against each other. But again, I want that crack at, at some of these bigger name programs to prove that the Big 12 is exactly what we've been saying they are, and that being the deepest conference in the country. That's all. That, that's my
1: little rant. I'm done. Well, I mean, point well taken. But the truth is, I, I don't know how that schedule is put together uh, on that to to really talk about it. Other than, you know, it is what it is. And I think you've had, you've had in the past where you know Oklahoma's played LSU, Oklahoma's played Florida. You've had some of those higher profile names in the in the SEC. I, I don't look at Vanderbilt as a blue blood, um, but. I mean, like I said, it it is what it is. Um, He's Rich. I'm Matt. Uh, Heartland Sports is our website, heartland-sports.com. Listen to the Sooner Nation podcast. Rich, football is the meat of what we do. So let's talk a little bit of of football. Jalen Hurts makes it official, uh, enrolls at Oklahoma, is on campus as a student, kind of talked about his final ride uh, in college football. Now that Oklahoma has that position group settled, I, th- I think there is a question there about depth that we can get into here in just a little bit, but you look at the skill positions, you, they're, they're set, they're set at receiver, they're set at running back, you know, Grant Calcaterra, I don't consider him a tight end anymore, but they're set. If you want to, if you want to call that position to me, I, I think the next question mark that you look at with this offense is, is along the line where you're replacing four starters. How big of a concern is that for you going into spring?
0: It's the biggest concern on the table. If we're not talking about the defense, why? Because everything on the offense starts in the trenches. We talk about a lot of the success that Oklahoma had in the running game. Of course, that came throughout the second half of the season. But we see when they lose Rodney Anderson, it was like they lost their identity. And I don't know what was happening mentally there. But I considered Oklahoma the best offensive line in the country. That they could run block. For anyone, it didn't matter who was back there. And yes, they proved that over time and they eventually won the award for that. But the truth of the matter here is when you take that award and you take that title and then you lose four players from it, of course, it's a major concern. That's not a knock against anyone who has waited or sat there in the shadows waiting for their time to shine because I think Oklahoma has consistently recruited top tier talent along the offensive line. I have some news that that I may need to tell you here in a bit, if we're going to flip sides of the ball, but Oklahoma has these guys who are extremely talented. They have the NFL bodies and, and they're ready for that moment when, when their name is called, of course it all starts with the returning starter in Creed Humphrey, but, do I believe that the, the unit is going to be good? Do I believe they are going to be quality on the field? Absolutely. The qu- only question I have is how long will it take them to get there?
1: Well, and they, I believe they have the best D, uh, offensive line coach in the country, Bill Biedenbo. Um And, and I, I believe, I, I've talked about this guy so many times, I believe Finley – an immediate starter. Uh, I I hope I'm not wrong on that. So I feel like you know, a little bit. I was really surprised to see some of the names that are there uh, in the in the transfer portal, who I believe ha- had a shot, a redshirt sophomore. Not I mean, it doesn't just because you're in the portal doesn't mean you're. Gonna go. This is to me on the offensive side of the ball. This is who I'm when it comes to spring football. Um, you you said you had some some news on the defensive side of the ball. What you got? Yeah, it's
0: not breaking news. I mean, it it kind of is, and it kind of isn't. I don't know if I'm supposed to share this, but I'm going to, and it's going on the record. I received word today that, you know, we talked about the defensive struggles. We talked about the need for improvement, but we've also talked a lot about the level of talent and how Oklahoma – has continuously or at least attempted to increase the level of talent available on the roster for these different positions. When we look at the defense, one of the lines or not one of the lines, excuse me, one of the things that you said needed the most improvements was was it was the cornerbacks. Did I say it was the defensive line? I believe so. Well, regardless, I believe one of us Said it, and what I heard today, I can't confirm this. It was just word of mouth. It, it could be a rumor, but what I heard today through the grapevine was that Lincoln Riley was going to personally take over the recruitment of defensive linemen. A little bit shocked by that, knowing that he's one of the best offensive coaches in the game. It's why NFL co- programs are, excuse me, NFL franchises consistently visit the campus of, Norman, campus of Norman to learn from this guy. Him taking over I don't think is a bad thing, though, because Lincoln Riley is an incredible recruiter, and I think he's finally surrounding himself with guys who are equal, on an equal playing field with him in that recruiting department. So I fully believe we'll see this this level of recruitment, we'll see the talent on the roster continue to rise as we ask the question: When will the chase for eight finally come to an end?
1: Well, you look at what Riley was able to do re- landing defensive recruits even before Alex Grinch came on board. Now that Grinch is here, I I, I mean, he can't he can't do anything but help, but. One thing that Riley can do, man, Riley can recruit. I mean, he, he can recruit like nobody's business. And we're seeing that happen with this team on both sides of the ball. But if you've got questions about whether this guy can recruit on the defensive side, just look at the early signing period and the number of letters of intent that are already in and guys on campus even that were recruited before Oklahoma even had a defensive coordinator. Yeah, that I want very to jump through and I love what a- no, go, I go ahead. ahead. I love I interrupted what
0: Oklahoma you. does with the recruiting process and creating all of these videos, really making it making it a big spectacle, a, a big event, something that's memorable for these kids. We shared that video on on the website. That I know we weren't the original creators of it, but we were sharing it because of the level of excitement that Lincoln Riley, as well as others in the room, displayed when a recruit. Committed and sent that letter of intent over. It was a big to-do, not just for Lincoln Riley, as I've mentioned. I believe, once again, that these are the kind of recruiters that Lincoln Riley finally has around him. I've never questioned his ability to recruit, nor have I questioned his ability to evaluate talent and pull the best aspects of that out and work with those on the offensive side of the ball. I just know he's not the defensive guy. So him recruiting or personally recruiting these these defensive guys, I think says a lot about what he wants to do and how he wants to be involved in this process of of turning this defense around, as well as giving Alex Grinch the the best crop of kids that he possibly can as he arrives on campus and, and sits here in Norman for what the next we hope foreseeable future, but at least three, four, five, six years.
1: Well, at the end of the day, I mean, your success is is based off the product on the field and and Mike Stoop is a perfect example that you can have, you can have a, a national championship, contending team and still not have job security and it's just a matter of time before some of that pressure begins to fall on a, on Lincoln Riley I mean Bob Stoops felt pressure and and there were a, a certain amount of people who were calling for Bob Stoops had Lincoln Riley is is no exception to that I just think he's getting ahead of the game a little bit, uh, so to speak, on that, jumping out ahead of the curve, however you want to phrase that, by having his hand in on defensive recruiting. And he even last summer, he was talking about the keys to fixing the defense are finding better players. And I think he's, he's being proactive in that and, and taking the lead on it. And he kind of had to in the absence of a defensive coordinator. But like I said, um, it's just one of those things that, that you just got to do it, and and having Alex Grinch in there now is is just going to do nothing but but help you. And I'm I'm sold on the guys that Alex Grinch has brought on his staff as well. The defensive staff is set as it is now, but now you go into spring ball and you start looking for that attitude change that we talked about last week, where players give a better effort, they they want more. And, and what I really want to see out of this defense is I want to see that no-quit-you-fight-every-down mentality.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, don't, I hate to question someone's effort, Matt. I know you, you have no problem doing that in previous discussions that we've had. But at some point in time, you do have to begin to ask that question. Just because you're a star in high school does not mean that you'll be a star on the collegiate level. Work must be put in. I was one of those kids, personal story time, I was one of those kids (laughs) who was, I mean, I was talented in in various different areas growing up, so much so that I didn't really have to work at certain things, things that I enjoyed doing. I, I didn't really have to work at it. It wasn't until I got into high school that all of a sudden there were kids who were on my level. Um, They may have worked a little bit harder than I did to get there, but I certainly wasn't getting getting any playing time, specifically in basketball. I I wasn't getting playing time just because I showed up to practice every day like everybody else, just because... I was talented. It, it That made zero difference. I had to put the work in. I remember the coach sitting me down and having these conversations about what he wanted me to do specifically. And if I didn't do those things, that, then he knew. I mean, it was evident when I showed up day in and day out and hadn't put in the individual work it took to get to that level. I can only imagine that increases on the collegiate level, so much so that they can tell the instant you walk on campus after a summer or after a week off, what what have you been doing, you know, in, in your personal time? What have you been doing? So, needless to say, I think you do at some point in time have to question effort a little bit and wonder, are, are these guys, is this group that we have in the locker room, are they leaving everything they have on the field or not? So, there you have it.
1: Well, and the thing is, when you, when you talk about effort, here here's the truth about any sport. The tape doesn't lie. The tape doesn't lie. Well, If you take plays off, it's going to be discovered on film. If you have bad technique, which we all know, you know, you and I did that poll uh, about bad technique in, in and that, that certainly won out. If you have bad technique, that's effort. I mean, it's not like these guys aren't being coached technique. It, it's all on tape, and and that's what Oklahoma has to change on the defensive side of the ball. Yes, they have to get more talented, but they, they have to get better effort from their players. And for whatever reason, they weren't getting it. I believe Mike Stoops was at fault to an extent, but I believe mentality is at fault as well. And that will be Alex Grinch's biggest task. And changing mentality is not always easy. I mean, you can, you could, there's examples out there. You can look at the University of Texas and see an example of how difficult it is to change mentality. It's not easy, uh, but it's doable if you have the right personnel in place. And that's where we'll find out a lot about this team in the spring. It, it, if I'm Alex Grinch, man, I'm, these guys are laying the wood in spring. There will not be any soft practices because I want to change that mentality. And so I'm going to work these boys. They're going to hit. They're going to do drills. They're going to run. They're going to do it all. You know, he wants them to be more aggressive. You can't just go into a a meeting room and say, be more aggressive. You have to work that into these guys. And I believe that starts in spring ball. I want to piggyback on on what you're saying because, I don't think it's just a
0: mentality shift. It's a culture change. You know, midway through the season, Matt, you and I had a conversation based upon another, a different word that I had received concerning the defense saying that they weren't allowed to tackle in practice. Now, this was obviously after a couple of injuries, more specifically to Rodney Anderson. I, I had heard that the ability to tackle was taken out of practices that doesn't bode well and i believe if that's true it manifested itself on the field because it was like these guys had forgotten how to tackle forgotten how to wrap up instead we were seeing a lot of launching head down both feet in the air at that point and completely whiffing on a ball carrier it baffled me and i'm still baffled to this day if that is truly the case that they were not allowed to tackle in practice. But if Alex Grinch is coming in and he's gonna implement, as you're saying, this laying of the wood throughout practices, maybe that starts to change. Uh, maybe that's all, all that it really takes is, is getting back into the habit again if that previous statement is true and that Oklahoma, was the defense was not allowed to pra- not allowed to tackle during practice. Maybe all it takes is allowing it once again.
1: Well, there there are. Um, I think there's times where you practice tackling, and there's times when you don't. Uh, you, when you spring ball is the perfect time. This is all about fundamentals, and and the best way to learn fundamentals is to work through them, breaking down, lunging into your 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 opponent, seeing what you're hitting. Spring ball is a time where you you do that. You do it in fall camp, but I do believe. That once you get into game weeks, there's so much that you have to implement into your game plan where that does take a little bit out, out of, of a backseat. You still do the fundamentals. You still do the breakdowns, but you do it against dummies instead of live competition. And then when you hit those bye weeks, when you have those off weeks, to me, that's when you go back and you do live contact again. Yeah, you want to keep guys healthy. Yeah, you want to keep the morale up. But like you're saying, when there are times when when you're just so fundamentally bad, you've got to go back to them, and that's why I'm saying they hit it hard in the spring. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Listen to Sooner Nation podcast. heartland-sports.com. That's on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Um, hopefully, our our uh, our audio was better this week. I know we're probably having a little bit of a hiccup here and there. I apologize for that. But the reality is when you got one guy in Central America, one guy in North America getting together to do a podcast, the fact that you can understand any of it, I believe is a miracle in of itself. Uh, Rich, I want to go back one more time and talk a little bit more about Jalen Hurts. Um, I, you know where I was uh, on this issue. I did not feel the, the, risk, the reward was worth the risk, but it worked out. Austin Kendall gone to West Virginia. Jalen Hurts, a member of the Oklahoma Sooners for one season, I mean, yeah, I believe he's the best option Oklahoma has at this point. I'm glad they landed him. But you would have had this problem, whether it's Jalen Hurts or whether it's Austin Kendall, quarterback in this team next fall. What happens if your if your QB1 goes down? Who do you want to see uh, take snaps? Do you want to see the Spencer Rattler area era begin early? Or do you want to see a guy like Tanner Mordecai, who could be more uh, better prepared to come into a game, Let's start looking at QB number two. And without Spencer Rattler even being on campus at this point, what's your preference if Jalen Hurts can't make a game? Who am I picking for the most popular person on campus?
0: Uh, (laughs) um, I, I definitely have to go with Tanner Mordecai at this point. One, he does have a year in the system. Two is he's a dual-threat quarterback. He is in the mold of what Oklahoma has put on the field with Baker Mayfield as well as Kyler, Kyler Murray. Now, everybody has their own unique strengths. I think Tanner Mordecai, again, has his own unique strengths. We're not expecting to see Baker Mayfield. We're not expecting to see Kyler Murray. But if Jalen Hurts earns that starting job as everybody expects him to, Tanner Mordecai, I believe, will be quarterback number two. But I do want to throw a but out there because of the new rule changes in in that you as a freshman have the ability to appear in four games before burning a redshirt. I do think we see Spencer Rattler. I do think they try to get him to adjust to live game speed. I don't think we see a Trevor Lawrence situation. But they try to get Spencer accustomed to the speed of the collegiate defenses that he'll see throughout the Big 12 and into the postseason in his future. I think they they try to get him accustomed to that a little bit early on um, and help him in his development of following the guys. Now you you had two Heisman winners. Jalen Hurts is going to come in there and he's going to be in that conversation as well. So following them, if Spencer Rattler's the future. And Tanner Mordecai isn't. I I believe they prepare him as best they can. And that does involve using those four games that have been granted through NCAA rulings where he could play this season and not burn a red shirt.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I think there's a difference, though, between garbage time play is what that's what you'll see from Spencer Rattler. Uh, in actually being in to compete for a win, which I think if something were to happen to Jalen Hurts, uh, Mordecai, I believe at this point, is the guy that you would want to go to, particularly when you consider that Spencer Rattler won't be on campus for spring ball. Seeing a guy like Tanner Mordecai and his development is the reason why you're going to want to pay attention to spring ball and the red-white game. I bet Jalen Hurts plays Very, very little in the spring game, even though the quarterbacks have that blue target jersey on, which basically means you can't even sneeze around them. You don't risk that because of the depth that you're facing, the depth issue you're facing at quarterback. So it's going to be fun to see this uh, this team uh, at quarterback over spring ball because you're going to see guys out there like Tanner Mordecai and, and Reese. I don't even know the guy's last name. Uh, that's how far down he is. Uh, what's that? Reese Clark. That's who I'm thinking about. You're, you're going to see those kind of guys. You're not uh, talking about say- Tanner Schaefer? You don't want him in the mix. Yeah, Tanner Schaefer. No, I didn't see. I think you're going to see them all. Here, there's there's like four guys on on campus right now that are that are quarterbacks for this team. Let's see, there's I, I can go through it if you give me a second to think about it. There's Reese Clark. I already mentioned him. We already mentioned Tanner Mordecai and Tanner Schaefer. There's one more that I'm not thinking about that they will. Oh, uh, the kid from um, the kid from Heritage Hall, um, Connor McGinnis. No, I did not look that up, but Connor McGinnis is the guy that I'm thinking about. So I think you see them all. I think you see very little of, of Jalen hurts. And you're going to see a lot of those guys just because you have to develop depth and you have to know the answer to the question that we're proposing of what happens if you have to go to QB two, who is that option? And obviously I think uh, at this point it is Mordecai, but you, you never know. It could be, it could be Schaefer or somebody else. Uh, sooner nation podcast going to wind it down um thanks for listening whether you're following us on itunes or at heartland-sports.com or on talk shoe, we appreciate you uh participating by listening uh, if you got comments you want to drop in there please uh feel free to do so we'd also love to hear your feedback twitter at sports heartland rich i'm putting you on the spot um bedlam wednesday night Stillwater. both teams desperately need a win who gets it and why
0: I do believe it's Oklahoma. They are the more talented team, but I also think they're going to come out and be more aggressive as we've already talked at this point in time, knocking down three point attempts obviously will be crucial, crucial as well as defending those. But again, I'm giving it to Oklahoma and it's not going to be by a slim margin. I'm saying it's by double digits.
1: Double digit win You heard it here. I think it's a great first half. I think it's very close. Um, here's the thing where, where Oklahoma is right now. We, we talked about their losses. I probably talked more heavily than you did, but every single one of their losses at this point is redeemable. You know, you, you lose on the road at Kansas, you lose on the road at Texas tech, you lose on the road at Texas. Those are all redeemable wins because all three of those teams are coming to your house how do you redeem the Kansas State loss? Well, you got to pick up some road wins. Bedlam gives Oklahoma the opportunity, to do, Oklahoma the, opportunity you, to do that. You, you, get, get, do the, you get the Bedlam sweep. So I, I, I think Oklahoma is the better of the two teams. They take the win. Maybe double digits, but I do feel like it's a good first half. Oklahoma pulls away in the second half. Uh, powered by the one and only Kristen Doolittle, who I talked about earlier. All right, he's Rich. I'm Matt. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, being a part of it. Uh, You guys are the reason why we do this. And uh, somewhere next week, uh, I will be somewhere else in Central America. I don't even know where my schedule has me. I think I'll be in David Panama next Tuesday, Rich. But we will connect again and make it happen one more time. Any final thoughts before we dismiss? Not at all, except Boomer Sooner, man. Uh, Boomer Sooner. Everybody have a great week wherever it takes you. Enjoy the game tomorrow night. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Boomer Sooner, everybody.
0: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>